0: This is Melissa Milner. Welcome to the Teacher As Podcast. The goal of this weekly podcast is to help you explore your passions and learn from others in education and beyond to better your teaching. The Teacher As Podcast will highlight innovative practices and uncommon parallels in education. Hi, Jan. How are you? Hi, Melissa. I'm fine. How are you? I'm great. I'm so excited to have you on the Teacher As. Thank you. I'm excited too. So Jan's, Jan's an old friend. Uh, we've been working together for a while. We worked together in third grade. Uh, Jan's actually the reason I got hired at Birch Meadows. So go Jan. <laughs> what do you want the teacher as listeners to know about you? First
1: and foremost, I am a literacy coach slash literacy specialist at Birch Meadow School in Reading. This is my second year with that job. Previous to that, I was a third grade teacher for think about ten or eleven years, and then I was a second grade teacher before that, all at Birch Meadow. But I came to that in a kind of roundabout way. I was actually a music teacher before I had my own children. And I taught at the, for the Triton Regional School District in Salisbury. I taught general education music and chorus. I really loved it, Um, but there was just as much as I loved it, there was just something that just kept pulling me towards being all the time in the classroom with a group of kids that I could just really get to know when I was in Salisbury, I saw over 800 students a week. Wow. It was a lot of kids. Um, it was, you know, seven periods a day, uh, five days a week. It was just, it was, I as much as I loved it, I felt like I was missing the connection that I I was really looking for with students. And so- after I had my daughter and I was staying home, I went back and got my master's in reading and language development and then started back at school after about a 12-year hiatus to raise my kids. Speaking of my daughters, I have two daughters, one who's graduated from college and is looking to go back to school for her master's, and I my youngest is a freshman in college in Boston at Emanuel and is looking at possibly being a biochem major. She's really kind of found her passion in the sciences. And my, my oldest was an anthropology and archeology span major and is looking to go back to school to get her master's in um, psychology. I also have a home-based bakery that I started in March during the lockdown. I've been wanting to do it for many years. It's baking is always a passion of mine and that kind of pushed me to start doing it and it's something that kind of just gives me a creative outlet, something to think about aside from always obsessing about school.
0: <laughs> I don't know what you mean. <laughs> Does the baking help you with the work that you do or are there other passions like for reading or whatever that 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 help you with your work? So baking is
1: It's kind of strange when I'm baking. It's like a meditation almost in a way. It's just really calming for me. I like the process of it. I like the exactness of it, the science that's involved in it. And then I like the creative part of it, which is decorating, cake decorating, that kind of thing. So when I'm baking, it also gives me kind of a calm time to think about other things. Aside from that, something that that's a passion of mine that helps with my work is kids and helping kids to succeed. And another is reading. I've just always loved reading. I started really loving reading when I was in the third grade, actually in the same town that I teach in now. And in the third grade, I ended the year with perfect attendance. I was never absent. And as a gift to me, my third grade teacher who taught in Reading for many years, Diane Kasarjan gave me a Nancy Drew book and that kicked off my love of reading and it's, it's just been a passion of mine ever since.
0: It's Awesome. You are a literacy specialist. You've been doing that for two years. It probably looks different in COVID. What's a typical day for you as a literacy specialist?
1: Well, this year, a typical day looks very different than last year, a typical day. So this year, because of COVID and because we still have kids that are remote and and we have kids that are just newly entering hybrid, I am not working yet with kids as much as I did last year. It's been some virtual assessing, um, working a lot with teachers Pushing into classrooms when kids are in person, working with kids on during the readers' workshop, and working with teachers on the readers' workshop as well. Plus, coming up with creating and, and running professional developments.
0: Last year, I, I know you did LLI work. You, but you did. You also still did a lot of you know mentoring new teachers and. Mm-hmm getting people, you know, on board with the workshop model that maybe are new to it and so on. So, what is your focus? What are the goals you hope to reach each year as a literacy specialist?
1: One goal that I have in my head that I had in my head all last year and something I'm continuing to work on this year is helping teachers to understand how they can Assist their students and help their students reach grade level expectations within the classroom and within the readers' workshop while at the same time avoiding pullouts as much as possible. Recognizing that when kids struggle, there's so much that we can be doing for them in the context of the classroom, in readers' workshop, during strategy groups, during conferring, even during partner reading. There is so much we can be doing that doesn't require a pullout. And oftentimes, teachers tend to panic a little bit when they see kids that are really struggling. And the first thing that some teachers and also some parents think is they need to be pulled out. They need to go see the literacy specialist. And as much as I love working with kids, I also recognize that the more that we can keep kids in the room, the better one goal of mine is to help teachers understand what those expectations are for kids and how they can best assist them within the classroom itself.
0: Right. So like starting with being able to successfully perform the running record and then taking that running record and deciding, so now what do I do with instruction? So do you walk, teachers through that kind of training?
1: I do. And I've done some professional developments on taking running records and benchmark assessments and analyzing running records. And then once I have, once we have that information, the analysis, where do we go from there? What's the next step? How can we
0: assess progress, make
1: sure that we're reaching the kids that we need to reach?
0: Do you have recommendations for people who are listening as far as I mean, I know we use Jennifer Saravello's strategy group book a lot, but there's probably a lot of resources you could recommend. What do you think is useful in a reading workshop?
1: Well, I think first and foremost, as diversified as you can make your classroom library, um, a big diversified classroom library, not just by level of difficulty, but also by subject, by topic, by, you know, you want, you want your books to represent people from around the world, different cultures. You want kids to be able to see themselves reflected in books and to be able to learn about other people through books. Jennifer Cerevello's book, Strategy Book, is excellent. It will help teachers plan their small group instruction, strategy group instruction, and work with kids when they're just working with kids one-on-one. The Fountas and Pinnell
0: Continuum, the Big Heavy Book,
1: the Big the Bible, yeah, the Big Heavy Book. That that I think is a is a indispensable resource.
0: Can you walk people through that? Because I remember when we first got that, I was like, okay, this is overwhelming. I want to just take a picture yeah. of this page. Can you walk through how yep. to really access that and use it on a daily basis?
1: Yeah, it is an overwhelming book. I mean, it's if if anyone's ever used it, it's it's enormous. I think that to begin with one of the things that you can use that book for is to is to kind of inform yourself as a teacher of what you're looking for, what you're noticing and what to expect in books at different levels. So if you are say a 3rd grade teacher, you might just in the beginning when you first get a hold of that book, maybe you just spend the first year really informing yourself and learning about the expectations within the books that are going to be at your grade level. Say your level P and a couple levels lower up through your level P and a couple levels higher.
0: Right. That's huge because then, you know, that helps you with teaching points. That helps you even like what to talk about when you're doing read aloud. Mm -hmm. If there's a student that is struggling with accuracy and fluency, their comprehension is great, but their accuracy and fluency are low. Do you attack accuracy? Do you attack fluency? Do you attack them at the same time? How do you do that in the classroom? So everyone feels a little bit differently about this. We've talked about this many times.
1: <laughs> My feeling about it is that you go after accuracy first. You figure out this is one of the things that, that I think takes some experience with teaching reading Is you take you do your assessing you you notice things you take your running records you analyze them and you figure out where is the student struggling in what areas some kids have a hard time reading through the whole word some kids have a hard time with vowel teams some kids can't blend it it just it depends on every child is different and their strengths and weaknesses are different but for me noticing where the child is struggling with accuracy and helping that and improving their word attack skills or their even if it's not word attack it might be that a lot of kids omit words off the page they don't notice small words for example they tend to skip words improving accuracy fluency will follow it will it will improve
0: absolutely i don't mean to be controversial but i absolutely agree Good. with you okay <laughs> Yeah, we've had that conversation before because it's really, it's really interesting because with fluency comes comprehension, but we've had students every year that their comprehension is fantastic because they're reading for meaning, Mm -hmm. but that's slowing them down. They're rereading a lot because they're going for meaning. And it's like, I'm much happier to have a student going for meaning.
1: Yeah. Yeah. I I would much rather have a a high self-correction rate than a high, than high fluency. Yes. So I was reading with a child just the other day, actually, who was reading about 28 words per minute, but was able to discuss that book at the end, left and right.
0: That's awesome.
1: So her fluency definitely needs to improve. However, it was not at this point in time, it was not affecting her comprehension. And why do we read? We read to make
0: meaning. Exactly. It's such a balance. Mm Mm-hmm. We hope that we can have readers come out of our school that can read out loud and can read, Mm -hmm. you know, performance and things like that. So it's just a balance. I want to go back to the classroom library for a minute.
1: Mm
0: -hmm. At Birch Meadow, we used to do everybody in the class read the same book and they had the packets with the chapter questions and the mm-hmm. that might have been California actually the the packets but no they
1: they they appeared at our school once upon a time as well <laughs>
0: oh okay so we you know the district did away with that then they were guided reading and now it's more headed towards guided reading for students who need it but more into strategy groups so i know the answer to this but i think it should be clear you're the person to answer this question the best What's the difference between guided reading and strategy groups? Why should there be both or should there not be both?
1: At Birch Meadow, we use the, the workshop model during, during reading. I believe that guided reading has a place within the workshop model. The difference to me between guided reading and strategy groups is during guided reading, everyone is reading the same book. Everyone is on the same level. You have kids around the table that are all reading, for example, a level M, and they're all sitting with the same book, and they're all reading the same pages of the same book at the same time. Not round-robin reading, but where, you know, you're having them read chapter three, for example, and then discuss together. Strategy group instruction can be kids that are reading at the same level or kids that are reading at different levels. You could have a group of five kids where two of them are reading an M, one's a K, and one's a P. But they are all working to improve the same skills, possibly using the same strategy or groups of strategies. So I may call a group of kids to the table because I know that a skill that is low for them, for example, is paying attention to end marks pausing when they, when they come to the end of a sentence. And I might have a few different strategies to teach them and to have them, to have them practice because they're all working on the same skills and strategies at that time. they are all be in a group together. They don't have to be reading the same book and they don't have to be at the, at the same guided reading level. However, I will throw in there too, is that the way I look at all groups within the workshop model whether technically you would consider it a guided guided reading group, or technically it would be considered a strategy group. I don't really think of them too much that way. I think when I'm working with kids for myself as just guiding readers. So kind of turning that guided reading a, around a little bit and just Right now, what am I doing at my teacher table with this group? I'm guiding readers. And whether they're all working at the same level or not, or on the same skill or strategy or not, it doesn't matter.
0: Right. And it makes it more flexible too. Yes. Because, because it's what they need at that moment. Right. Absolutely. Very well explained, Ms. Ryan. <laughs> Thank you, Ms. Milner. <laughs> <laughs> so what is your proudest moment in your work so far?
1: I guess I would say proudest moments. I've had a lot of moments where I've just been really happy with how things have gone. And I've had a lot of moments where I have just been really frustrated with myself with how things have gone. The thing that I'm most proud of is that when I run into kids that are in high school or now in college that I had in third grade, they almost without fail boys and girls, will bring up a book or books that we read together as a whole class and that, in other words, was a read aloud. And they will start reminiscing with me about that and tell me oftentimes that that is where they develop their love of reading. And so when I think back on my, on my favorite, you know, on my favorite times of teaching ever, it was always reading with kids, Always. And so I guess what I'm most proud of is that for some of those kids, I had some small part in making them into lifelong readers.
0: Yes. Awesome. So right now in your work, what are you zooming in on?
1: Zooming in. Right now I'm going a little bit back and forth about what I'm zooming in on. I could actually give you three things I'm zooming in on. Awesome. Because my job is kind of split between being a specialist, in other words, working with kids and being a coach, so working with teachers, I kind of go back and forth on things that I'm Zooming in on. And oftentimes there are multiple things at the same time. One thing that I'm Zooming in on right now is taking a look at what teachers at Birch Meadow need right now. What's the feedback that I'm getting from them? And what am I noticing when I'm going into classrooms? what do I feel like I could do or how could I help support the teachers at Birch Meadow with their literacy instruction? So that's one thing I'm, I'm zooming in on. Another thing that I'm zooming in on is working with kids who are finally getting some of them the opportunity to come back at school who I may have worked with last year or that some teachers may have had questions or concerns about we left off with that in-person teaching and working with kids in the middle of March. And so I'm getting caught up with those kids as they phase back in, talking to them about books that they might be currently reading or what they did with literacy over the summer. Very casual conversations and then doing some assessing where it's appropriate and sometimes just sitting and listening to kids read and kind of getting an idea of how this shutdown affected kids and their literacy
0: development. Right. That's huge. Mm-hmm. It's really difficult for me to tell is I, it's even hard. Like I'm pretty sure this child is not in a just right book. I have them read for me and they seem okay, but I want to see them every day. Mm -hmm. I want to see them go into a corner and be engrossed in the book. And then I know I I have to send them off to go read because I have another strategy group and I can't see what they're doing.
1: Yeah. I I have to say, I just from going into classrooms and kind of being on the other side of it right now, not being a, a classroom teacher, I feel like whether they're gen ed teachers, special ed teachers, or specialists working with kids right now, whether virtually or in person, I I feel like you all are just the unsung heroes of the world. I pop into rooms, I listen to teachers talk about kids that they haven't had a chance to see at all in person this year, and the knowledge base that they have about their kids and the understanding that they have of their kids. It's just, I'm, I'm just in awe of, of, all
0: of them. Yeah. They know I'm on their side and they know they're supported and, and that um, Trisha and I are going to support them. And that I feel great about, but uh, it's tough. Mm-hmm. You know, it's my 30th year of teaching and I've been doing it a certain way. And now it's like, I can't be in the room with the kids. How do I make it just the same? And it, it can't be just the same. I have to tweak things and make it work for a different environment and that's okay. That's okay. I just have to give myself grace. Yeah. Cause it's 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 hard to do this work remotely. I've seen you coach and mentor and you do an amazing job walking people through what the priorities are and and how to balance mm-hmm. you know, balance literacy and, and literacy instruction and the, the importance of the read aloud, which you know, you and I have always been on the same page about. Yeah. Here's here's another fun question. What's your favorite movie and why?
1: (laughs) So I've listened to enough of your podcasts that I knew you were going to ask me this question. (laughs) I am going to be honest and tell you, I am not a movie person. So uh, to be honest, when someone in my family says, let's watch a movie tonight, or would someone like to go to the movies? I get like a feeling of dread. (laughs) (laughs) I I just, I, I don't know what it is, but I can tell you, and then I'm going to take your question in another direction, but I can tell you that of the movies that I've watched, I love Disney movies because I do have a thing about Disney. Shocker. <laughs> yeah. I love Disney movies. I love especially the older animated movies like Lady and the Tramp, some of the classics. I love the first Pirates of the Caribbean movie. And then it just kind of goes haywire for me. <laughs> and this is going to like seem very strange and out there. But one of my favorite movies is National Treasure with Nicolas Cage. <laughs> 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 and so I could watch that movie again and again. I just, it's funny. And, you know, I like the history as, as fake as the history, much of the history will be. I, I still I still enjoy it. So that's, that's one of my other movies, but I'm going to take that question in a different direction because I'm not really like a movie person, but I am a book person. Right. And so um, (laughs) if you had asked me about my favorite books or authors, I would say that uh, my favorite children's book authors are probably Kate DiCamillo, who I absolutely love. I love Chris Van Allsburg. And one of my other favorites, and he's a little bit more obscure, is Bill Peet. And I love all of them because in children's books, I love dialogue and I love character development. I don't need to hear about the setting. I can bump with the setting on my own, in my own mind, in my own imagination, but give me some good character development and some wonderful dialogue and I'm hooked. So that's what I would say is is probably over movies. It's my, my love of books.
0: I love it. All right. So let's say people liked what they heard today and they want to get a little more information about how to be better reading teachers, how to balance their literacy programs so that it's working well for their students. How could they reach you? They could email me
1: at my writing email address.
0: I can put it on the episode podcast page.
1: Yeah. And I'd be happy to get into a conversation with people about about reading and kids and reading development.
0: Great. And on another note, if they live in the Massachusetts area, yeah. should you give them information about your bakery?
1: Oh. <laughs> Actually, you could they could follow me on Instagram. And my Instagram is Do D-O-U-G-H, dot ray R-E, dot me, M-I, dot bakery. So it's do re, me, bakery.
0: Thank you, Jan, so much for taking the time out to talk to me.
1: Oh, thank you so much, Melissa. It was my pleasure.
0: If you enjoyed this episode and have not done so already, please hit the subscribe button for the Teacher As podcast so you can get future episodes. I would love for you to leave a review. And a rating as well, if you have time. For my blog, transcripts of this episode, and links to any resources mentioned, visit my website at www.theteacheraz.com. You can reach me on Twitter and Instagram at Melissa B. Milner. And I hope you check out The Teacher As Facebook page for episode updates. I am sending a special thanks to Linda and Lester Fleischman, my mom and dad, for being so supportive. They are the voices you hear in the Zooming In soundbite. And my dad composed and performed the background music you are listening to right now. My intro music was Upbeat Party by Scott Holmes. So what are you Zooming In on? I would love to hear from you. My hope is that we all share what we are doing in the classroom in order to teach, remind, affirm, and inspire each other. Thanks for listening. And that's a wrap.